First Corinthians in chapter 5. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife, and ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, or at least not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a, co or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one do not eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judge Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now I know that this is an unusual chapter, and probably not very often read publicly in the, and ministered on. But as we, are, as we have come in 2 Corinthians to this part of the book, I thought it should be right to do this, and I want to talk to you for a few moments first about this chapter, and then we'll turn to continue into chapter 3, uh, 2 rather, of 2 Corinthians. So let's keep here now at the moment. You'll see that it, when we have read this evening, that we read that Paul is saying here, and I've, I've written over these verses. I like to do this sometimes to sort of try and consolidate it and to bring it to our attention. That here in these first verses, I've written today, the problem advanced. He's advancing this problem to them, making it known to them. He says it's reported commonly that there is fornication among you. That is the most serious moral sin 
This is a moral matter. And you have seen it because we have read it through. And it says, These things are not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. So it seems that there was sad and serious behavior taking place. And the Apostle Paul is very worried about it. You can see when you read, if you have followed the reading tonight, and I'm sure you have, you will have seen that the Apostle is very, very concerned. Sin has entered into the assembly. You see, there's one thing that we learn in this chapter that's very important, and it's this. That when you or I are in fellowship, now, I'm not in fellowship in your assembly, of course. You know, I live a long way away. But I'm, a, I'm in fellowship in another assembly. And the point is this, that if I am in my own assembly and then begin to sin, heinous sin, such as we have read tonight, that sin doesn't just... Uh, it does, doesn't take place in me. It does do that, of course. But the point is this. It infects the whole assembly. So this is a very, we'll come and see this in a moment or two. Let me try to show you. Paul has said it's reported commonly. The testimony has been lost. That's quite clear. Because he's saying it is reported commonly that this sin is there. And then he says it's a bad one and not even usually does it take place among the Gentiles. And so it was very sad that sin had come in it's a serious thing. And the Apostle is writing. He's writing very tenderly about it as we look at it, and yet very clearly. And he says the problem seems to be too. If you look at verse 2, he says there at verse 2, he says the problem seems to be that they were really puffed up. They were still going on and thinking they were doing very well. And he says you have not rather mourned. You haven't been sorry about it. And he said that if you had been sorry, see, look at verse 2, if, you, if, you had been, if they had been sorry, if they had mourned, that God says, that Paul is saying, it was quite likely that God would have taken away the one who did this deed. But they've just gone along with it. Now keep that in your mind, there's the problem advanced. We're not going to stay too long with any of these things, but they're very important. Come now to the next section, where the problem is assessed. And this is in the verses 3, 4, and 5. And here we read, the Apostle says, I verily as absent in body, but certainly my spirit is present with you, because he loved them. Now remember, remember, this is the, this is the Apostle who was used of God to plant the assembly in Corinth. If you were just if you would just look with me for a moment and allow me to take you back, you would see in chapter 4 that in, that in that chapter the Apostle is making it very clear. Look at verse 14 of chapter 4 just for a moment. Paul says, I write not these things to shame you. I'm not out to shame you. He loved them. This is what he says next. He says, in, in, these, in these verses, I write not these things to sh shame you, but as my beloved sons. The word there really is not sons, it's children. And he looked upon them as his spiritual children. And he loved them. 
And he was sorry before God that this thing had entered in. And it was going to break the, it was going to break the assembly up, this was. This is, this is very serious. And so, we'll, we'll leave that. But it's well worth reading that chapter, by the way, for. But of course, I want to get into the second epistle before we finish, so I must move on. So he's saying now, as absent in body, but present in... Uh, verily, I'm absent in the body, but I'm certainly present in my spirit. And he said, I've judged this thing already. I can see what's wrong. Paul said, he's telling them. And he said, um, concerning this person who had done this deed, he said, in the name, now read this verse with me, with you, verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, my spirit will be with you. With the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, he said, this man must be delivered out from the assembly. If you read it carefully, you'll see it. To deliver such a one unto Satan. Now that doesn't mean that he's going to go into the arms of Satan and never ever lose. I don't think it means that he was losing his eternal life. The idea is, he's, what Paul is saying is, he must be excommunicated from the assembly. And if he, he's, if when we're in the assembly, it's, a, it's the assembly where God reigns. And the Christians gather. Whereas the, the world don't. And what he's really saying here in this, he's delivered into the, into the let me put it to you like this, it says, uh, 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 let me get it, verse 5, to deliver such a one unto Satan, it's the sphere of Satan, where Satan rules. So in other words, what he's saying is, this man loses his right at that time to be able to come to the assembly because he's committing sin. Are you getting the point? He's committing very, very serious sin. And the apostle says, and now this is what we call, I don't know whether you, I'm sure you have, as the Lord's people, I'm quite sure that you've had ministry like this at some time or other. This is what we call, or the Bible sometimes is alluded to as, excommunication. And the, this man was to be excommunicated, put out of the fellowship of the assembly, so that he couldn't come and break bread and uh, be with the saints, because he was guilty of very serious sin. Now, that's what's in view. This is the problem being assessed. And he says, that's the very first thing you've got to do. That's really what Paul is saying. He's saying, this is the very first thing that you should do. Be sure that this man is put away from the assembly. Just put your, just cast your eye right down to the last verse of the chapter. We'll come back. I want to go through this chapter. It's very important. But I'll be as quick as I can. Look what he finishes. He says, Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. He's called a wicked person. It's been a wicked thing that has taken place. So we have the problem assessed. And he's, now I want you to look at verses 6, 7, and 8. It's not very pleasant ministry, this. I understand that. And I'm trying to get you through it as quickly as I can. But it's very important, and it should be known. I don't think we, we do hear this ministry very often. And maybe we should. In a day that's very dark, as far as the morality... I don't know what it's like in, in America so much, but I certainly know in Great Britain there's terrible moral standards that have been lost in the, in the general situation of life. So come to the next thing, the problem arrested. 
the problem arrested. This is what he's out for. He said, your glorying is not good. They seem to have been just going on and not thinking about it. They're not having all this to happen. That seems quite clear from the chapter. And he's saying, your glorying is not good. And then he says, know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now let me explain that. Some will know. Many of you may know, I don't know. I've been here a few weeks now, well, over a week. I want to say this, my name is Baker. But that's about the only thing I really know about baking. But you know, what I want to say is this, when the baker makes the bread, now listen carefully, when a baker makes the bread, what he does, he has a, a, he has this lump of dough. And if he wants to make it spread and it swell, before he puts it into the oven, he puts this yeast, it's called yeast. That's leaven. That's just exactly what leaven is. It's yeast. And that yeast, it spreads through the, the whole of the dough. And you get a nice even loaf that comes out. Now, I'm no expert at this, please. I once was, a, I was once in meeting, taking some meetings in the south of England, and the man I was staying with at that time, and his wife, he'd, he'd uh, sort of left his work quite early on in life, and he told me, he said, I, I make all the bread for our house. And he showed me how to do it. And of course, I got greatly imbued with this and came home and told my wife, I know how to make bread now. And uh, we have dear friends from Northern Ireland who are experts. He sends bread and all the other things right through the whole of the north of Ireland. And he'd come to visit us. And I had my, my, lo my loaf in the, in, in, the, in the oven. But in my... <laughs> this is just a little side story now for a moment to, to, to cheer, cheer things up for a moment. You know this. Uh, we were eating the meal and I went out and I opened the door, you see. And the voice behind me said, you don't do that, Jim. You see, you see you're supposed to leave it in until the thing is finished. Well, anyway, what I'm saying to you is this. You get, I want you to get this now, though. Just keep the little thing in your mind. And remember, what Paul is saying is this. A little leaven, it leavens the whole lump. That yeast that's gone in, it spreads. What's he talking about? He's not talking about making bread. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the fact that he's illustrating the fact that the sin will spread in the assembly that I mentioned about earlier on at the beginning of my little message tonight. And Paul says, your glory is not God. Don't you understand that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And then he says in verse 7, purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump. You've got to put the man out. He's just doing it by illustration now. And he's saying here, he's saying, because Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Now, I can't go into all that tonight. I would be glad to talk about it afterwards if you want to do so. But look at verse 8. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, the bread he's talking about is the assembly. And he says it should be clear and clean and healthy and nice to eat. You see, brethren and sisters, Paul is 
illustrating the fact that there's sin amongst the people of God. Now that's the lesson I want you to get with me tonight before I leave this chapter and I'll be soon leaving it. I hope so anyway. Look at the next thing. That's the problem arrested with the yeast. Now come now to verses 9 and 10 and we have the problem seen at large. He says, I wrote unto you, I wrote a letter, he'd written a letter to them before this, and he says, I've told you not to company with fornicators. Listen, brethren and sisters, we must understand that a Christian must live a clean life. Now, we don't often hear ministry like this, so I'm not going to be, I'm not afraid to tell you. We must remember that we must leave, live a, a clean life if we're going to be pleasing to God. And if we don't leave, live it, our life that becomes dirty will spread to the people of God. That's the danger. And Paul is saying here, I wrote, you wouldn't company with fornicators. And he's telling them there, but we'll, go, we'll leave that one, that's the problem at large. Now look at the problem admonished. He says, now I have written to you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, covetous, idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one, do not eat. Paul says we must live a life of separation from men who are constantly, or women, who are constantly sinning. It's a serious matter that is being addressed by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And so you'll see, we come to that verse 13, and with this we're going to leave it, and leave it for good. In verse 13, Them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And from the beginning to the end, he's made it clear, sinners entered in, and they should have acted. See, you, you know, my, my father was a seaman for many years. He was a drunkard before he got saved, and he is a hard man in that sense. But you know, and I never saw my father cry very much, you know, weep. But I remember one night, way in Liverpool there, this is many, many years ago, and the very same, not quite the same, but moral sin entered into the assembly where we were. And my father came home and he'd been weeping. You see, brothers and sisters, it's not a question of saying, let's get rid of them. It's a question of trying to help them. And the help has to come first from the fact that they must be put away. But they must be prayed for and helped and try to be brought back, but not to bring their sin with them. Now keep that in your mind, and now we come to where I should have started at the beginning of the meeting. But I, I don't think I should. I think it was right to do what I've done. I want you now to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter, well, the last two verses of chapter 1. The last two verses, we didn't deal with them last night, and we had the reason for it, and I want to talk to you about it now. In the last two verses of chapter 1, and the first four verses of chapter 2 is the first section, and I'm going to talk to you about Paul's reasons why he did not go to Corinth. Look at verse 23. Moreover, said Paul, 
chapter 1, verse 23, I call God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. Not that we have dominion over your faith, because he said, we are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness, that is, with great sorrow. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad? But the same which is made sorry by me. And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. What Paul is saying, very briefly, because our time will go by quickly, I want you to see that the Apostle is making and giving a reason, not making, but he's giving a reason why he had not come to them at that time. He had had the problems that were in Corinth. There wasn't just those problems. If you read the whole of 1 Corinthians, you'll find there were quite a lot of problems in that meeting. But he had seen them saved. And he had preached the gospel there. And he longed just to see them going on for God. You love, you dear sisters in the meeting tonight, you love your children. And you want to see them grow up. And you want to see them grow nicely. And you want them to be good. And you want them to be blessed. And to be in a day that would come admired as a man or a woman when they grow. You see, now Paul was like that with the Christians. He, he had a great desire that those who had been in his charge as a spiritual father, he wanted to see them grow and develop in the things of God. He, will, he loved them. As we said, we saw it in 1 Corinthians 4. And what the Apostle is saying is this. Now, you see, some people had actually circulated the words. And they had said, you know, Paul has not been coming near us for quite a long time. And they said, well, you know, I think we're really stronger than he is. And, if, and I'm not making this up. This is not me making it up. If you read the early chapters of, of this epistle, and indeed on through Second Corinthians, you'll find out that it's true. They were really saying, many, there were many enemies that wanted to get at the Apostle Paul. You see, you think of the amazing ministry that Paul gave. And the amazing people that God set were saved through Paul. And you see, there were enemies that wanted to stop the work. They, the devil is always seeking to restrict and to stop a good work that goes on. Paul was an outstanding servant of God and he was getting the blame from people. But, and they, some had said, and you'll find it there in the verses I didn't really deal with last night at the, near the end of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2, in, near it, uh, chapter 1 rather, and you know, what, what was, you see, if you look at verse 19 for a, minute, for a moment, he says, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you, by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, he was not yea and nay. Do you remember this from last night? But he said, it was yea. Paul meant what he said. And you see, they were saying, he does, he's, he's a bit frightened of, of, of us now. We're getting bigger than him. That's how the Corinthians were acting. Now Paul says, listen, he said, 
It was when I did not come, verse 13, uh, 23, when I did not come, he said, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you, I did not come. He didn't want to use the rod. He wasn't a man for the rod. And what Paul is saying is this, he prayed for them. We know this from later chapters in this. This is a wonderful epistle, Second Corinthians, a very interesting one. But you've got to read it carefully to find out what it's all about. And you see, I'm just trying to introduce you to bits of it on these few nights. Now, notice he says, and he says, so he said, to spare you I did not come. In verse 23, do you see that in verse 23? He said, I call God for a record that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. He says, now, we're not over your, we're not domineering over your faith, verse 24. He says, but we're we are wanting to be helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. So first of all, here's one of the reasons. He's giving reasons. This is my little note tonight, you know, of this passage. Paul's reasons for not going to Corinth. The second reason is in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in, in heaviness, for if I make you sorry... Who then is he that maketh, my maketh me glad? Paul was not wanting always to be arguing. You know, there are some people, even in our assemblies, and they always seem to like an argument, you know. And you know what arguments do, don't you? They get the, the blood boiling, you know. And it produces more difference and more failure in the meeting. That's all it does. We should pray for each other and pray for the harmony and the unity of the assembly. Where an assembly is really loving the Lord and loving the saints, it'll go on and it'll get blessed. And you see, Paul was wanting not to do it. So he says, if I make you sorry, who then is going to make me glad, he says. See, this is what he's saying. So he's giving them reasons. I'm going to leave it very quickly now. But what he's doing, he said, you know, and I wrote, he said, look at verse 3, he says, I wrote, this same I wrote unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow. I've put it all out. And you saw, I think it was clear in 1 Corinthians 5, you can see what we saw in that chapter. And it was very clear. He'd made it clear. And so he says, uh, I, I would like to rejoice, he said, about you. And, out, and look at verse 4 before I leave it. Look at verse 4. This is a very important verse. He says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears. They thought Paul was just trying to whip them. Paul says, I was weeping, not whipping. Are you listening now? What he's really saying here is this, the, 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 uh, we can put it poetically, the, the, the actual pages of the letter that he wrote were stained with his tears. He loved them. And we'll never help God's people. hope you're listening now. And our elder brethren, you know, we need a word for our elder brethren some days. And I don't know who they all are here, so I can speak clearly. But all I'm saying to you is this. Overseers are not men just to chasten the Lord's people. They should love them. They should pray for them. And they should guide them and lead them in the ways of God. What a wonderful thing it is. And Paul is giving to us the reasons why he didn't go to Corinth. Now the next thing is this. We now come right to what we have been dealing with in chapter, in, in uh, the first epistle. 
When you come now to verses 5 to 11, we have his recommend, the recommendations. Paul is making some recommendations. Not reasons now, but recommendations concerning the offender. Let's come to it. Look at verse 5. Paul says, If any have caused grief, he have not grieved me, but in part. And he said, look at verse 6, Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted. They had put him out. They had put him out. They had done what Paul told, him to, told them to do. They had, actually, they had actually done, they had taken the, 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 the thing that they should do and they had put him away from the assembly. This man who sinned in the first epistle. And Paul is saying here, now, he says, he says, sufficient to such a man is this punishment. It was inflicted by the many. In other words, the, the assembly put him out. Now look what it says next in these verses. They're very interesting verses. It says, now, it seems, once you read right through this chapter, you'll find that the man had repented. He had genuinely repented. Look what it says. It says now, sufficient to such a man is this punishment. It was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise you ought now rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. The very man that wrote so strongly in the first epistle and said, put him away is the very man that says, bring him back in again. Why? Because he'd repented. And you see, look what, we, look what we, we have. It tells us here, he says, Wherefore I beseech you that you would now confirm your love. For Do you know what was happening in Corinth? Let me just put it to you like this tonight. They failed to put him away. And there he was coming into the meetings. And he was committing sin. Now Paul has written, and they put him away. They put him away. And then, when he has repented, they have kept him out. You know, it's an amazing thing. We are very often people of extremes, aren't we? In the one case, they were extreme in keeping him, in, in, in letting, him, letting him go free, as it were, when he was sinning. And then when he obeyed what Paul said, and then they left him out and kept him out. It's amazing to think how, you know, it's a strange thing how we can just do the very same. We, we, we go to extremes one way or the other. And these saints, they had really kept this man out. Now he said, look at verse 8, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. And he says, for this, to this end, I did right. That's why I wrote, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. And he says here, he's saying, now I know this is an unusual ministry, I understand that, but it's a necessary ministry. I don't know whether you've ever heard this or not, but it's very important. I hope you have. But it says here, he says, wherefore I, would, I, I beseech you that you would, I plead with you, that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end did I write, this is why I wrote, that I might know the proof of you, whether you are able to be obedient in all things, the one thing or the other, putting away or bringing back. 
And he says, For to this end did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. Did you remember what we read in the first epistle? He said, If you put him out, my spirit will be with you. Now he's saying, Bring him back, and my spirit will be with you. Do you see what he's doing? He says here, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. And then I want you to notice a very important verse that follows. It's verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For Paul says we are not ignorant of his devices. I don't know, I know that Paul was quite clear when he said that, but you know, I do think that very often we, we've got to admit that we really don't always know the Satan's devices. Satan, listen, are you listening? Satan is out to break your assembly up. I can say that with quite freedom because he's, he's, he, he would like to do it to the lot if he could. Satan is always waiting to try to bring difficulty and disobedience into the assembly of God's people. And if he can get people to live lives that are grieving to God, well, he's quite happy. He doesn't mind you being grieving to God. He doesn't mind you disobeying the Lord, you see. And it's very important to see that Paul is longing to see a healthy assembly in Corinth again. When he first preached... Can I remind you about this for a moment? Away in Acts chapter 18, you'll find it says that many of the Corinthians, hearing the gospel, they, were, they believed and they were baptized. What a wonderful thing it was. Paul had seen a great revival. Well, it wasn't a revival, but it was a great mess. It was a great time when he preached the gospel and many souls got saved. And then they got baptized and the assembly was formed. You know, you're not going to tell me that he was glad that things had gone wrong. Not at all. That's why he wrote the first epistle. And now he's writing the second epistle because they're still going wrong. And in the first case, as we've said, they kept the man in and he was sinning and it was ruining the assembly. And then when it comes to the second, then they're just as slow to bring him back when he's repented of his sin. I, wonder, I think this is very important and I thought it was helpful but would be helpful, I hope it is uh, helpful for us all tonight to remember that these matters are in the word of God therefore they should be from time to time taught and understood these are very important things but we're not finished and, uh, but we're finished with that more or less because we've said lest Satan should get an advantage of us because Paul says we are not ignorant of his devices. We know that he's constantly trying to cause difficulty in, your, in their assembly. And I think if you're honest, you'll find he's trying to do it in yours as well. I don't know anything about now. I've got no, no, no knowledge of any problems in this assembly. So I can speak quite clearly. That's one blessed thing about coming a long distance. That, you, that nobody can say, well, he's just trying to get us. You know, I'm trying to just tell you what God says in his word. But there's a nice, there's a nice coming on, a nice section coming in now. We've looked at the reasons that he wasn't going to go to Corinth. 
We've thought about the recommendations that he gave concerning the, the offender. We've seen the... Re we come now to the restlessness. There's a little bit of restlessness in Paul here. Look at verse 12. Paul says now, and it's coming to a very nice section. He says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, and a door was opened unto me. Do you see it there in verse 12? He said, I had no rest in my spirit. You see, all these problems that had come in that made him restless. And even though a door had been opened, he didn't go through it just at that time. He didn't feel that he was fit to do that. He was longing to get this problem fixed first. And you can see he says in verse number 13, he says, well, verse 12, when I came, he said, to preach Christ's gospel, and the door was opened to me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit. And I couldn't, you see, now he also tells us something, this is a little note that's here, and it really is, comes out as, when you read the letter later. It says, because I found not Titus, my brother. Do you know what he'd done? He'd sent Titus to Corinth. We find this, if you look back, you go on into chapter 7, you'll find it very clearly. He'd sent Titus to Corinth. And he'd, he, he obviously had got back from Titus, this wonderful man called Titus. He was a good brother. And he'd come back to Paul. And he told them just exactly what the situation was. This man did it. You'll read it in chapter 7. And so he says, he said, I found no rest, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to turn to chapter 7 for a moment. Now keep your, keep your hand in chapter 2 and look now if you will please to chapter 7 of this same letter. And you know remember what we just said let me read it I'll read the verse you, you're in the new one and I'll bring it you to it now just a minute. He said taking my leave of them because Titus had not come he said I went from thence into Macedonia. Now look at verse Number 5 of chapter 7. For when we were come into Macedonia, this, there's a big parenthesis in this letter. And this is the bringing in of the, the next part of it. The, all the chapters between, have, he, he, he gives a, another lot of ministry for them in the assembly there. But what we have here is the fact, he says, he said, but when I had that re restlessness in my spirit, because Titus had not come, he said, I took my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia, and then we come to this verse, for when we were come into Macedonia, he says, you know what happened? Our flesh had no rest. So he had no rest in his spirit, and now he found that he, his flesh had no rest. What does that mean? Well, I've got to try and explain it. And I think I can. Listen to what it says. It says in verse 6, he says, Nevertheless, 
When we were, I will read it again. When we were coming to Macedonia, I'm reading from verse 5 of chapter 7. Our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Without were fightings. Within were fears. Paul, he had a, a heart of, a heart for God and a heart for the people of God. And you see, he loved the Lord's people and he was worried about that. And then he says, outside there was all this persecution. This is the persecution he had. We were troubled on every side. And you know this? Isn't it an amazing thing that Paul was worried inside and he was being attacked outside? And it says, nevertheless, listen to this verse 6. I'm coming back to chapter 2 with you in a minute. But notice what it says here. He says, God that comforteth those that are cast down. He comforted us. You know, he, you know he got the comfort. Titus came back. And Titus came back. And he told, he told Paul, do you know, he says, they've repented of the danger and the failure. Titus is coming back to tell them that the visit was good and his letters were good. His letters had achieved the right result that he wanted. And what, how lovely it is to see. There's, there's a big parenthesis in between. That if you come over to, to the, the, the meeting I'm going to night, tomorrow night, we'll be looking at these chapters in between. But here it is. Here it is. And it's wonderful to see what happened. And he said, he says, not only by his coming, but by the consolation. He was comforted. He told us of your earnest desire. The way you have mourned now. They went mourning. Do you remember we found in chapter, at the beginning of that chapter in 1 Corinthians 5? But now in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, 7 rather, and verse number 7, it says, not by his coming only but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. And he told us your earnest desire and the way that you mourned and your fervent mind toward me so that I rejoice the more. Paul was just a man. You know, he wasn't a God. There's only one God. But, but this man, well, he loved the people of God and he just wanted them to be going straight. And we need... There's, there's always a need. Don't, listen, don't, don't you get angry now if one of the brethren come to you and say, now, we're not, we're not, you're not coming as you once did, and so on. If they've seen that, you be careful now before you answer and, and just check your own life whether you're right or, he, or he's right. We, we, we should remember that there are things like that. Anyway, let's come back. To now, uh, we're nearly finished. And uh, let's just have a bit test, 10 minutes. But I just want to read some lovely verses at the end of this chapter that we uh, still are in, really. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look what Paul says here now, he says. He said, The door was opened. I had no rest in my spirit. I found not Titus, and we've read all that. And he says, I went from thence to Macedonia. But now he comes back to them. Look at verse 14. It's a rather nice thing. In verse 14 of this chapter, Paul says, Now thanks be unto God. Thanks be unto God. Because he always causeth us, us to triumph when we're in Christ. Triumph in Christ. He had known the beauty of 
the beauty of the gospel. He's preaching the gospel. I'm going to show it to you now. Look. I went from thence into Macedonia, and he says, Thanks be unto God, he always causes us to triumph in Christ and make manifest the savour. That word savour, it means the sweet smell. The sweet smell. You see, some have said, and I think they're probably right, that what we have in the closing verses of 2 Corinthians 3 is a description of something that often happened in the days of the Roman Empire. Many times, the great Nero, he would have led, sometimes, he would have led a, 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 a war, and he would have gone into a city, and he would have overtaken the city. And what he would do once he had done that, he had a chariot. And he would be, he was the Nero, the great leader. And he would have, on, in his chariot, they would be actually burning, beautiful smelling, uh, I don't know how I would describe it, but s smelling wonderful features that were coming up. And it was lovely to, to have. It was, it was showing there was victory. Victory. And what they did, what they did in those days, now listen carefully, and you'll see it all in a minute when I sh I'll apply it. What they actually did was this. They took captives. And when they took captives from the, from the, the town that they had taken them captive, you know what they did? They tied them to the wheels of the chariot so that they had to walk along. And they knew as they walked along, out from that city, going back towards Rome, they knew in their hearts they were going to die. They knew that they had been defeated. And then, also, he had found in that same city where the, where the battle had taken place, he had found some of his own men Roman men, who had been taken by the people in that city, but they have been released now. And so there are men tied to the chariot, going to die. But what about these men who have been released? Oh, it's different for them. They're going to joy and freedom again. And these, these wonderful smells are going up from this wonderful thing that is taking place. And one... One, one group, the group that have been taken captive, that smell tells them every day as they smell it. They're going nearer and nearer to death. But the men who have been cleared and have been delivered, that very smell tells them, we're released, we're free. Now look, listen to it now. Paul says, Now thanks be unto God. Verse 14 which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savour, the sweet smell of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ. Do you see it? A sweet savour of Christ. And then he says this, in them that are saved, and in them that perish. You see the two groups? In them that are saved, and them that are them that perish. To the one we are the sweet savour of death unto death. But to the other, he says, the savour of life 
until then. Paul knew <coughs> that wherever he went, he preached the gospel. And as he preached the gospel, he saw the fact that sinners were being released from the power of Satan, not the power of Nero, but the power of Satan. And he says, we are unto Christ, to God, a sweet savour of Christ. There's a greater smelling salt, there's a greater one than ever could be produced by the, the Nero. It came from God himself. A person of Christ. Christ had been lifted up and souls had been saved. And Paul was preaching, he says, to the one, look at verse 16, to the one, we are the savour of death unto death. But unto the other, he says, life unto life. And he says, and who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many that corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God speak we in Christ. I hope that has not been too puzzling now tonight. I hope I've explained it well enough. But you know, it's all a very important section, and it would be well worth reading it again. I know full well that I've often done it myself through life that you know you listen to somebody preaching and you don't always gather all that's been said but it's good to go back and read it. It's God's word. And here is a man of God and his whole life was given. You know that Paul, you do know, don't you, that Paul wrote the, his last epistle was Second Peter, uh, Second Timothy, and you know when he wrote Second Timothy, he was waiting to go out to die, and he knew it. He knew that the hour of his problems were going to come to an end, but but he was going to die for it, and he knew that he was going to die for Christ, and he did die for Christ, but he sought to help the people of God all the time that he could. We trust that the Lord will grant his blessing upon us as we think of these things. These are serious things. I would rather preach on some other passage. But, you know, I feel we must always touch things like this because they're, because they're there, God must have put them there for a purpose. And then it's good for us to be able to be able to say, well, at least we've got the grasp of some idea of what is in the Word of God. Let's, let's pray. Our Father, tonight we thank Thee in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank Thee for all that He did at Calvary for us. He who bore the judgment. He, O God, who has suffered for our sins. And we thank Thee He lives at Thy right hand. And we thank Thee for a wonderful Saviour. And we thank Thee for Thy servants that Thou didst raise up. And these passages of Scripture divinely inspired. And we think of this city of Corinth and the problems that were there. And yet we thank Thee, O God, for the blessing that came from the writing of these things that are in Thy holy word. We pray that Thou wilt remember us as we separate. Remember the assembly here and any other represented. And we pray, O God, that we might live for Thy honour and for Thy glory. We pray, O God, that Thou wilt take away all that would grieve Thee and help us to live lives that are pleasing to Thee. We thank Thee that soon we're going to see the Saviour face to face. What a day it's going to be. And we pray until that day thou wilt keep us near to thyself. We ask all, we give thee thanks in the precious name of the Lord Jesus, thy beloved Son. Amen. We'll just sing together a verse and then the meeting will be over. I thought we could sing tonight.